going on, everybody? Thank you for jumping on here with me. This is Chris back again with the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Sorry about the delay within a couple episodes. Had some technical difficulties that conjoined with, that came at the same time as me going out of town. And that's what I'm going to talk about on today's episode. As you can see by the title, My Mother Lickin' Oregon Elk Hunt. So let's start a few months back, what, maybe six months ago now? Ugh, boy. So on the back end of my failed September elk hunt in Colorado, which you can go back to and listen, if it's not too cringy because I had a <laughs> a little bit worse mic microphone than what I'm using right now, go check out that episode. It's like episode three or four, something along those lines. After I was not successful, I shouldn't say fail. You know, I talk about it in the episode how I had tied my emotions to the outcome of the hunt. And you can't be attached to the outcome. You know, part of it, you should be, maybe I'll say, detached from the outcome, but enjoy the journey, enjoy the process, have expectations, you know what I mean? But I, I mean, I pretty much summarized it perfectly there. Don't be attached to the outcome. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. I was way too attached to the outcome and being successful, quote unquote, in harvesting an animal. I was uh, distraught. Anyway, go check out that episode. I talk more about it there. But when I was not, when I did not harvest a bull elk in Colorado last September, I was looking for other options because not having elk meat was rough, 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 rough. Many barks. So, I was looking for options and then I found an Oregon depredation hunt on a website called Guidefitter. I was just looking around, like looking for like guides or hunts or places that I could go and harvest, you know, anything basically, harvest some sort of elk. I wasn't really looking for like a, a high fence hunt where you just show up and shoot one out of a herd. Was not that interested in that, although that would have been maybe the most guaranteed way wasn't interested. I wanted to actually hunt a wild animal as they are probably a little bit more nutrient dense. You know, they're actually running out there, getting it, hustling, <laughs> living the life, living my life. And so I wanted to harvest one of those animals because I would feel better that it was actually me against the wild, so to speak. And so I found one on Guidefitter in Oregon, a little place called John Day. It was a tiny town. Less than 2,000 people, middle of Oregon, central Oregon. So I hit this guy up, didn't respond for a while. <laughs> I didn't know that he was still guiding bull elk hunts, and that's like a huge deal. It's a big part of his income, you know. So he didn't respond for a while, but eventually he did get back to me, which was nice. And he said, yep, I have an opening in February, basically, for these depredation tags. That's when the elk come down, the herds come down off of the mountains out of the, like, the national forest land and onto people's properties. And they eat the cow forage. No, it's, you know, it's like half a dozen in one hand, six in the other, six and or no. <laughs> the phrase is the other way around. Six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. But they come down in pretty substantial herds, bigger than the cow herds, to be honest, because usually the cows stay purposefully, stay low in the winter because the, the feed is thicker up there or down there, excuse me. And then, you know, they spread out in the summer as well as, you know, the ranchers have to feed the cows because it's rough going in the winter. It's a cold place. 
it's not, you know, hunky-dory. It's not the west coast of Oregon where that stays pretty mild because of the coastal weather. No, it's, it's inland and it was bloody cold. So they come down and they get depredation tags to harvest animals. You know, I'll explain all this here in a few minutes, but they don't do, you know, they, they do enough damage that they get allotted a, f- a certain amount of tags. And so it hardly impacts the herds. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. It, I saw large herds out there. Don't even worry about it. Not like Montana-sized herds. That's a whole other ball game, but biggest one I've ever seen still to this day. So we get it locked down. He said, yes, middle of February, come on up. So I lock that date in place and the months go by. Then February comes around and I'm getting a little nervous. I'm like, you know, the more I looked into it, he sent the information over and it's like, oh, no, no. This is not a pull up and there they are. Go ahead and pick one out and shoot it. No, no, no. No, these are 100% wild animals. There is the possibility of failure. You know, it's not a show up and shoot kind of a thing. So I drive my behind all the way out there to John Day, get in touch with him, get a hotel. And I say, yo, what up? Blah, blah, blah. I'm here. I'm checking in. All right. We're going to meet this place tomorrow at 06, 0600, 6 a.m. And sure enough, go out there the next morning. I'm tired as all heck. I get up at 05, head out there. I'm ready, ready and rip roaring, ready to go. So, we meet up, I follow him, and we head out to the spot, jump in his vehicle, and then we kind of like slowly traverse up the foothills. It's like, you know, flattish, and then it gets into the slow rolling hills, and then it goes up to the mountain. Well, this is kind of like a very quick process. It's like a mile of foothill, and then just huge towering mountains. Not Rockies, you know, but snow-capped peaks, let me tell you. And so we stop at the certain area and then we start glassing, just glassing, just glassing. I'm just glassing. I was just glassing. Any, <laughs> do you have any Tom Segura fans out there? Just glassing. If, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, get onto YouTube and, and type in the search bar, just glassing. Tom Segura. Oh man, it's a hilarious. It's not even a bit. It's a, an observation on another video. It's amazing. Go check it out. So we're just glassing, we're just glassing, and uh, I'm not seeing crap, but I'm also a very novice elk hunter. I've harvested one out of two hunts at this point, right? So I'm batting 500, not bad, (laughs) not bad. One of two opportunities. So I'm looking at, I'm I'm doing my best, and I've got decent glass. You know, I've got a pair of uh, Vortex Optics 10 by 42s, Diamondback maybe, Razor? some sort of cool name <laughs> and I'm glass and I'm glass. And, and of course he's way more experienced me, the guy I was with. And he goes, oh, there they are. I'm like, Oh really? Yeah. And he kind of, yeah. So you see that part, that bald knob up, you know, about three quarters of the way up the mountain and you see that the, it's a herd of about 80. I'm like, what? 80? And sure enough, freaking 80 of them up there. Big herd of cows just booling, hanging out. Oh my goodness. It was bananas. I've never seen that many elk before in my life. Is that true? Hold on. Let me think back to my Nevada hunts. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're more spread out. So in the winter, they group up into these big herds for safety, as well as, you know, the the bigger the herd, the more older cows who have been through a couple of quote-unquote migrations out of the thicker areas in the mountains and have survived, like they know where to leave the mountains to get down into the lower areas where there's feed in areas to uh, like exposed grasses, basically. So they group up in these big herds and they all are able to get to safe areas. You know, it's also the more eyes that are looking around, the easier it is to find predators and the safer you'll be in the long run. So big monster herds in the winter. So that definitely was the biggest one. When I've hunted them in September, they're a lot more spread out. The herds are a lot smaller, five to 10 cows, you know, a couple bulls in there, a couple of young males, spikes that haven't matured. They haven't, they're not sexually mature. So they're not like rival to the adult mature bulls, like five to seven year old bulls. So they're allowed to kind of hang out in the herd. They're, they're still basically not even teenagers, you know, they're just not sexually mature. We'll just put it at that. So we see this monster herd, right? And it's like, oh man. So inside of me, the bow hunter in me was, all right, let's go. Let's go right now. Basically, <laughs> it's, it's, when you're bow hunting, as soon as you see elk, you move, you go for it, you figure it out and you just go, you start moving right away to get as close as you possibly can to him. And my buddy was like, nope, just relax. We're going to watch him for a while. And when did we see them? I think maybe we saw them right about seven o'clock. So right as the sun was coming up, we know we were out there at first light. No, that's not true. We were out there before first light. And then as the light came up, even before the sunrise, we had spotted them. They're out feeding. Big, gigantic full moon. So they were out eating well before there was any light from the sun because they can navigate just fine by the light of the moon. So full moon is not great for big game hunting because they're going to be active all night. Deer, elk, moose, the lot of them. So we're just glassing, just glassing. For those of you that don't know, glassing is using your glass, the binoculars, to look over large swaths of land to be able to find animals. Somebody had told me that uh, they didn't quite understand what I meant by just glassing. <laughs> just glassing. So we, we see them and they're kind of feeding around this hillside, mountainside. Let's not get it twisted. It was a freaking side of a mountain. And they're kind of going around the backside of this hill. We're slowly losing sight of them. And, you know, whenever you, you find animals, you want to act immediately. At least I do because I'm an impatient son of a gun. My dude is like, nope, we're just going to chill. We're going to watch them for a good while. And he said also, you know, out of the blue, other animals could just show up come out of the crack of a hillside, come out of a depression in the land, and we could just be in position right away. And sure enough, about an hour later, way over to our left, a group of like nine just appeared, just appeared out of nowhere. So that proved himself true. You know, he's been doing, he's been a guide for like 20 years. So he's been doing this for a long time. He knows exactly what he's getting into. So... We watch them for a while. They, the, the big group, the herd of 80 disappears. I'm a little bummed, little bummed. And we kind of just stay put, stay put. We just keep on glassing, keep on glassing. It's a, it's a bummer for me because I'm a, I'm a run and gun. I'm a go getter. I like to get out and do things and, and get things done right away. So we're just kind of watching 
the smaller group to the left of us, that's basically which is biding my time. Keeping an eye on them, making sure they don't go anywhere. And then out of the blue, they just bolt. That group of eight, they just start booking it. We're like, whoa, what happened? Something I didn't mention is that the wind is ripping and it's already below freezing. Not well below, but still below. And it is ripping. So we're so cold. And the reason I mentioned that is because if they got shot at, we wouldn't have heard it because the wind is just whipping and they are downwind of us. So the shot wouldn't have like pushed through that wind. So they just start running, fortunately, towards us. Hmm? I know, right? I know, right? So they start running towards us. And I mean, they just are not stopping. And they uh, go into this fold, into this deep drainage. And uh, we kind of figure out they could either come up towards us or like away from us in that crevice, in this big drainage in the hillside, and then into like the thicker timber. And that's usually where they go when they're spooked. And so something very obviously spooked them, elk, aren't just willing to just bolt, basically. So bolt they did. So it was back to looking at nothing. And so I was like, I was a little like downtrodden, a little perturbed because I was like, oh man, now, now we can't see nothing. But sure enough, my expert man in camo beside me was like, oh, they're feeding around uh, to the backside. Because so all they did was feed around the backside of this hill that we saw them on. And then it looped back to just the hill behind them. So sure enough, they start to feed up the other side of the hill. I'm like, oh, sweet. You know, it's, it's always good when you get your glass back on animals. So the same herd, the same herd of 80 started to feed back up into view. And that was killer. So maybe it's nine-ish right now, perhaps nine o'clock, you know. And thank God that some weather had blown in the night before and there was cloud cover that was sticking and it was probably going to stay all day. What elk do, so elk basically have this crazy thick woolly coat. You know, the best way to put it is they have a crazy thick fur coat on, right? Durr. But you think about it like this. If you have that coat on and you can't take it off, and the sun starts shining on you, and it's not like a crazy zero-degree day where you're going to want to stand in the sun, you start to get hot. You know, if it starts to get back above freezing, you know, you're like, oh, geez, I got I to gotta go sit in the shade. And basically what they do when it heats up like that, they go and they bed in the timber. Fortunately, we had a good, stiff, cold wind and cloud cover. So they were staying in the open because they didn't really need to go into the woods and so they're going to stay out in the open and continue to feed, basically, which is the nice thing. And so they feed up this slope a little bit higher. So we were wondering, so why are they, they it looked like, so there was a westerly wind and they were on a western face. We're like, why are they feeding out in the open? They hate wind. They obviously, you know, wind sucks your warmth away, right? <laughs> That's certainly what it was doing for us. So... We kind of determined with that westerly wind, we were looking north to south. That's up on that slope. That, you know, that must have been blocked. They must have been sheltered from the wind up there to be sitting on the western face of this slope. So we're like, okay, no big deal. We'll just take what we've got. And they kind of started to peter out as far as their movements. And they started to kind of chill out and just hang out in this one flat area way up on this mountainside, basically. And so it's starting to get like 9, 30, 
10. Okay. They're starting to stay put. Okay. And usually in that later morning, their movements start to slow down. And even though they're not like going to bed in the timber, so to speak, they will bed on that open spot. So we're like, okay, it's probably time to make a move. Like, hey, man, you think we can go make a move now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's go make a move. So we start to head over in that direction. We're in a side-by-side and we're just creeping creeping. The reason we're still in it is because well, there's still a lot of ground to cover. We're probably looking at them from about two miles away, basically. And so we wanted to get as close as we could in a motorized vehicle because it's bloody cold out. Bloody cold in the wind. Don't forget, the wind is ripping where we're at. So we kind of maneuver. I think we get maybe two hillsides closer, like up and down two hills closer to them before they start to kind of like what's going on over there? And their heads kind of like pop over the little crest of the hill that they're on and kind of look at our directions like, okay, maybe we should hop out and uh, start walking. So we still have about a mile, about maybe 800 feet to 1,000 feet of elevation gain to get up to them. No biggie. I've done it before. I'm in dang good shape, right? So we hop out grab the boomstick and I mean we're we're dead silent just whispers you know fortunately it had snowed that night right and so there's fresh snow up high the snow that hit down low melted and so all the ground was wet which is a good thing in that it will dampen your footsteps so as long as you're not crunching on sticks you're moving pretty quietly fortunately so we kind of rotate away from them because we were sort we were exposed where we stopped and they could see us quote unquote but you know as far away as we were they don't have the ability to see us they can't have they don't have long distance vision like that but they could hear something like what was that i thought thought i heard something they have incredible hearing their hearing is definitely much better than their vision so we're like okay well then so we started to rotate to the backside of the hill that we're on and then we started to slowly creep up through the trees where we were there was down where we were there was a couple of trees that we could use for cover and then we would rotate to the back the back side of like the slope that they were on and then use that backside and downwind for them super sweet setup right we were just fortunate that it ended up being that way and then make our way slowly up this hill and we would get straight downwind of them and then peek over the top and take our shot, right? So we're slowly, slowly making our way up, slowly making our way up, quiet, 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 very quiet. Every single step is deliberate. Basically, as we're getting closer and closer, you have to move slower and slower and more deliberately, right? So we end up getting, I think, maybe 400 yards, maybe 300 yards from them and then... A freaking pair of dusky grouse. Oh my gosh, just blows up. If you know, if you've ever flushed a pheasant, a grouse, not so much a turkey, but I mean, you know, if you've heard a turkey, any of these type of fowl flush, it is so loud. Oh my gosh. We're like, no. Because uh, we didn't even see them. These mooks, they flush downwind and then they fly downwind. This could have ruined it for us. You know, fortunately, we still have about what we, you know, find out later is about 300 yards to go to the elk. 
our hearts sank like, oh my gosh, did we just ruin this whole, basically the whole morning of this hunt because these stupid freaking grouse, it was just a pair, thank God, blew up. It was, it was, it was obnoxious, these freaking mooks. So they, they fly away from us and away from the herd, which is so weed. And so we continue to kind of make our way up very, very slowly. It's like, okay, you know, we're, we're picking points like, okay, there's a bush right there. Let's get to that bush, basically. And, we, and then we can hide behind the bush, right? And kind of peek over. So we hands and knees it to the bush. We look, okay. We can't see anything. Like, oh, dude, look at that eagle. <laughs> the falconer and the freaking bird enthusiast that I am. Look at that eagle, man. It's doing uh, because it's like right on the crest of this hill. The wind is coming up and hitting that face and then shooting straight up, basically. And this eagle is literally dancing. After talking to one of my buddies, probably courtship flights. You know, this is mid-February. They're probably the mated pairs. Eagles made for life. I mean, all birds of prey made for life. And what that means is until one of them dies, they stick with the same partner. I mean, that's special. So this male is probably just showing off for his girlfriend who's probably a mountainside over and can see him. He's like, oh, my boyfriend looks so fancy flying around those elk. What a, what a guy, what a charmer. <laughs> so he's doing these awesome, like straight up and down flights. It's, it's amazing. And I'm trying hard not to get distracted because it's the coolest thing. That's so cool. He's right there. Look at the, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but we got to focus. <laughs> okay. 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 I'll not focus on the eagle. And uh, we're seeing some magpies. You know, those of you who know kind of what I'm talking about, you know where this is going. Magpies are starting to congregate. There's an eagle hanging out. What's on the other side of this hill, right? So we're creeping over, creeping over. We're, we're low crawling now past the bush because the bush was like our last little bit of cover. So we're low crawling, low crawling, low crawling. Stick your head up. Uh, don't say anything. Low crawl, low crawl, low crawl. Head up. Uh. Uh, uh, I don't see anything. Low crawl, low crawl, low crawl. And then my buddy, he sticks his head up. Okay, they're right there. Like, oh, they are? And I kind of peek my head up. Holy crap. Oh, geez. They're way closer than we thought. They're under 200 yards away at this point. Holy bejesus. Oh, my God. I get the rifle ready. Get my bipod out extend it to its maximum because like I'm not going to offhand shoot. There's no way to put anything down. It's got to be on the bipod. Like there's no way to put a bag down. There's no cover. It's literally just sprigs of grass, right? Between us and the elk. And so they haven't seen us yet. Remember the vision is based on movement, just like a T-Rex. <laughs> so they're, they're feeding around. They're not bedded, which is nice because when they're bedded, they're actually kind of at decently high alert. There's always some animals on alert, especially when there's freaking 80 pairs of eyes right there looking at you. And I mean, by now the eagles and the eagle and the magpies have already seen us. So they, they, you know, they might know what comes next, basically. If we hang around a big giant herd like this, eventually someone is going to get predated upon, whether by wolves which I don't like, which we're not going to get into here, or humans. And somebody said to me, the eagle was my actual guide, and I love that. Shout out to you, eagle. You're awesome. So we stick the bipod out, extend it as big as it can, and I get set up, and I look. He's like, all right, 
you know, they're clustered together like crazy. Pick one out and then breathe and then pull the trigger. Look through the scope. There's grass in the way. It's like, all right, you know, get scooted up and then readjust and, and then do it again. So I scooch up, what, six inches slowly, quietly, as low as humanly possible to the ground, as quiet as it can possibly be. Get set up, raise the rifle up, look through the scope. There's still grass in the way. <laughs> All right, we, you know, we kind of look, okay, right here, like over to the left, it's a little bit higher up. So I scooch over, he gets in the rifle, I scooch over, kind of get it up, All right, get the rifle to bear again, look through the scope. There's still grass in the way. <laughs> Freaking grass, you know, it helped us out because it sheltered us. And this is why the elk were there. It was exposed. It was a very open spot and they could eat on this tallish grass, right? But it was up in the freaking way, this mooky grass. So I was like, all right, go move up there like a foot, you know, like a full foot and then readjust and then, you know, do the same thing. So I, I scooch up like a full foot, right? Bring the rifle to bear. It's on fully extended bipods, tall ass bipod, like a foot and a half, right? So that I could sit in at least like a kneeling position, basically. No grasses in the way. <sighs> okay, time to breathe. Calm yourself. Thankfully, the initial jitters were kind of like hiked out of me. Basically, you know, that it was that hike wasn't no punk. So any kind of nervousness or jitters that I did have was kind of gone. And then another one of my buddies, actually, Daniel, told me that it's a lot easier when you hunt cow elk, female elk, because there's not this big menacing, not menacing, but like threatening, impressive set of horns, antlers on an animal that would get you, oh geez, oh geez. So hunters, you hunter listeners might know that there's something called buck or bull fever. Basically what happens is you see that set of horns and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that's the biggest buck I've ever seen. Or, oh my gosh, this is the biggest bull that's ever been out in front of me. And it starts to freak you out. Well, when you're just hunting a meat hunt, it's not so audacious because all of them look the same, right? All the animals are similar. All the does or all the cows, they look the same. And so it's, it's calming. It's like, okay, just need to pick one out. I'm relaxed. And that could have been while I was relaxed or the fact that this wasn't my first rodeo, not my first elk hunt. So, you know, that makes a little more sense, right? So my issue was there were so many of them. There were so many elk. They were all crowded up together that I was like, I'm at, they're all clustered. Like you have to have a clear shot to an animal and then also behind an animal. So like if your bullet has a pass through or even with your arrow, you want to kill the animal swiftly that you're aiming at, but you don't want to wound or hurt anything behind that animal. You know, this is target practice and shooting 101. Always know what's behind your target. And so I was having a time, you know, when you're freaking looking down your scope or you're looking down your sights of a bow, every second is an eternity. And so in all honesty, it was maybe 30, 45 seconds, a minute max before I had singled out an animal that was off to the side and feeding and wasn't clustered in with this dense group of, of elk. And so I'm like, okay, I got one picked out. He's like, all right. He had known that I've been around guns my whole life. So I kind of, I knew uh, trigger discipline and I knew how to <sighs> calm yourself, breathe. Uh, some people do it different ways. They breathe in and then hold and then squeeze like on a rifle. I breathe in and then out 
So, I mean, this might be the proper way to do it. I'm not an experienced rifle hunter or shooter by any stretch of the imagination. But I breathe in and then out so that there's not a buildup of uh, carbon dioxide because that's what triggers your ding, 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 breathe, 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 breathe. Your alarm signals in your brain is the buildup of carbon dioxide. So I breathe out. I'm settled. I've got my sights, my crosshairs on my target. And what you want to do in a rifle shot is have a surprise shot. You do not want to do what's called jerking the trigger. Like, okay, that's my spot. Boom. And then you jerk the trigger and it's way off. It's like way off target. You want a what's called surprise shot. So I breathe out. I pick my spot on the animal, which is behind the shoulder, a little high. Slowly start to squeeze. Keep the crosshairs right on the animal. Staying calm. Boom! I'm like, whoa! It was the perfect surprise shot. Flawless execution. And I'm, I look through the crosshairs. I don't see her. What? What? What happened? Guys, like, reload, reload, reload. I'm like, what? Uh, there's no way I missed. It was. It was a flawless shot. I rack, rack, rack. You know, rack another round. This is a bolt action rifle. And all I see is the herd just running away. I'm like, no. There's no way I missed that shot. There's no way. I get up. And there's the elk stumbling and like tipping over and then falls over. I'm like, oh my gosh. Thank you, God. I totally thought, and I mean, everything, remember, the infinite <laughs> feels like an infinity in the very, very shortest amount of time. It was probably three seconds, right? Reload, reload, he says. I reload, I stand up. Why I didn't see her is because for maybe a split second or two, she was running with the herd or the herd was running through her, like like around her. And so she was hidden in the massive group of animals. Because what I didn't see, there was a bunch of animals that were way closer to us that were sheltered by the top of this hill. So I was kind of actually shooting in the back of the herd. And so they all ran away from the report of the rifle away from us, and then threw her. So for the longest time, I didn't see her at all. Anyway, she tips over. Oh my goodness. Thank goodness. Thank you, God. It was a clean, quick kill. Maybe three, four seconds max. She tips over and I have a successful harvest. He's real excited. Um, I've kind of always been this way in the the two animals that I've harvested. Let me say so myself. <laughs> I'm not an accomplished big game hunter by any means, but my first bull kill and now my second harvested cow, I've been very calm before and after the shot. Wait, that's not true. I got bull fever. <laughs> I got bull fever my first one. So maybe I just got that out of the way. I mean, I say that until I have a uh, monster six point down my bow sights this next year. <laughs> I'll probably be shaking like a leaf there too. Who knows? But anyway, I was very calm after the shot. He gives me nucks. Like, we did it, man. Congratulations. Shout out to Mr. Eagle for uh, for guiding us into where those elk are. Man, so we, we go up to her. And as you guys might have seen, I'll probably put it up as the podcast picture for this episode. My beautiful harvest in an absolutely stunning area, just up in the snow-capped mountains of Oregon. And it was absolutely amazing. 
oh, it was just, it was a great time. Got up there, made it happen. The same morning, you know, oh, it was incredible. So that herd ran off one less member, no big deal. There was that herd and multiple other herds out there, you know, in this huge several hundred mile stretch of mountains. So my harvest will not impact the herd in, in any meaningful way, you know. So loaded her up, got her down the mountain, got her quartered out. We got her butchered, meaning like quartered her all out, um, got all the body parts separated and hung her up in a cooler, which was really nice. And then the next day, you know, we let it cool down for 16, 18, almost 18-ish hours, yeah, at about 34 degrees. So she's all nice and cool. And I am now back home and I am slicing and dicing. And this this is what's actually called processing. Processing the animal. That's where you basically cut everything down into steaks, roasts, and the like, as well as uh, burger and sausage meat. And I am actually, dude, you know, everybody's like, elk burger, elk burger. Dude, no. Elk sausage, baby. Elk breakfast sausage. Oh my gosh. I am making probably 50-50 burger to sausage. Or, I mean, depends on <laughs> depends on how many pounds I get. I might even go like 60-40. Like 60% breakfast sausage because that, get a little spicy, a little, little jalapeno, maybe some crushed red pepper in that sucker. I don't know how they make it. I take that to an actual processor. I process all the roasts and the steaks myself, pack those in my freezer, and then I take it to an actual meat processor and they'll get it mixed with uh, pork fat, like pork shoulder, beautiful herbs and spices to spice up that delicious, mm, chef's kiss, breakfast sausage, baby. So I'm stoked on it. I'm posting pictures over on my Instagram at Lone Star Trapper, to star with two R's. Man, that meat on that sucker is just beautiful. I've already eaten some of it. Ate the ribs. Oh my goodness, with Alyssa and Joe Pravong being calm. And my bubba boy, damnatious Daniel <laughs> Kimball. Uh, and a few of our friends out there. And it was fantastic. Ugh. And I still so we we grilled three quarters of the ribs. So, you know, there's the ribs the full rack of ribs. So there's two of them. And then we split those into three quarters, uh, three halves, right? No, four quarters. My goodness. Uh, it's been a long day. I've been processing for many hours. Oof, trimming the back straps up, baby. So we ate three quarters of the ribs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Three quarters of the ribs. And so I have a quarter left and uh, I'll probably take that to somebody's house to grill it. It's not a ton of meat because... They hold their protein differently, basically. So there's not a ton of meat on the ribs, but the meat that is there is absolutely to die for. So I will be processing over the next several days. It's a lot of work, my Jobins. It's a lot of work, my Shalim Shalams. It is ugh, a lot of standing in one place, which I'm not used to. My job is run and gun and like always moving. So man, I got my Crocs on in my kitchen, slicing and dicing, and uh, we're getting meat frozen for the long summer ahead, long summer of training for this upcoming elk season in the fall. So thank you guys for listening. I really, really appreciate you all. If you could, please leave us an awesome review. And if you haven't already subscribed, hit that follow button. That would be tremendous. It really helps out the pod as well as go and check out our YouTube channel, the Wildlife Command Center YouTube channel. 
Michael is doing a bunch of awesome stuff over there. And we actually just got a guy who's closer to me than they are in the St. Louis location. We're going to get him over here and we're going to film some awesome content ourselves. Thanks again for listening to the Wildlife Command Center podcast, you all. Appreciate y'all. God bless. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, aka Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus, download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.